Well, let me ask you this question. Uh, We all learn to drive at some point. How many of you were taught to drive by your mom? Your mom taught you to drive? Your dad taught you to drive? You just grabbed the keys and figured it out. I figured, I figured. Go Go back to the moms. How many had moms teach them? All right, that was me. That was me. It didn't start that way, though. Uh, when, I, when I turned 16, or I got my permit at 15 and a half, then turned 16, I'm learning to drive. My dad gets in the car. He's like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm the oldest. I'm the firstborn. So he's like, man, I'm going to teach my, my son to drive. He gets in the passenger seat. I get in the driver's seat. That's the last time he sat in the passenger seat. That was it. He says, I can't do this anymore. He did it one time with me. He said, no, no. He asked my mom. He says, please, I'll do anything you want please, you be the one to teach Brian to drive. I don't think I'm that bad of a driver, but it it caused enough stress in his life where he let my mom deal with that. So here's what my mom did. My mom, very gentle, gentle woman, very outspoken woman, sat in the passenger seat with me, held on for dear life, and did a great job of, of helping me navigate learning to drive. You know, she never reached over, that I can remember at least, she never reached over and grabbed the steering wheel. She never moved me out and says, that's it, I'm driving. She stayed in the passenger seat, but she gently gave me reminders of, scoot over a little bit, scoot over a little bit, you're a little close to the line, you're close to the line, scoot over! <laughs> you know how, you know, it, it, it escalates, or brake, brake, you see the car's braking, red means brake, 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 brake! Right, she did a lot of those things, but she gave me good instructions from the passenger seat. And sometimes in our relationship with God, spiritually speaking, when we pray, we're praying, Jesus, you just drive. Jesus, take the... Yeah, now Carrie said that. Jesus never said that. You have to understand the difference there. Now, we're hoping, we're wishful, we're prayerful that, man, Jesus, I'm gonna pray and you're just gonna land a miracle right in my life. You're just gonna take care of it. Now, there's most certainly instances where that has happened. Scripturally speaking, maybe in your life, you've had just a, I don't know how to explain it, just God took care of it. But what I've experienced in my life, what I observe through Scripture, is more often God plays the passenger seat role, where he sits in the passenger seat and we're praying, God, you got to help me get through this. And he says, you're right, I'm going to help you navigate through. You keep your hands on the wheel. Because so often we're like, no, 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 I don't know what to do. You take care of me. He's like, well, you're going to run off the road is what you're going to do. Put your hands on the wheel. I'll tell you what to do. I'll help you get through it. Even in Scripture, in the New Testament, the Gospels, Jesus is referred to as a rabbi, which means teacher. So he's helping us through teaching us, not just doing it for us. We have to understand in our prayer life, yes, it's a two-way street. It's a conversation, a dialogue where we have the opportunity to speak to and hear from God Almighty, creator of the universe. And because of that, we recognize who God is. We're expecting God to just always just fix it. Just put the miracle right in my lap. And again, he does that sometimes, but oftentimes we're asking for that, but he's staying in the passenger seat. So no, 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 you keep your foot on the gas. You keep your hands on the steering wheel. I will help you navigate through it. He's gonna teach us along the way. There's a a word, actually a name in Hebrew in the Old Testament that actually speaks to that way that God answers our prayer. And I'm going to teach it to you. It's Jehovah Jireh. Say that with me. Jehovah Jireh. Well, we need to split that up into two words. Let's try that. Maybe that'll help you. Jehovah Jireh. Now all together. Jehovah Jireh. There you go. Much better. And that literally means God will provide. And that's who he is in our life. We pray, he provides. We need, he provides. Scripture even speaks to this. Matthew chapter seven, seven through 10, Jesus' words speaks to that God is Jehovah Jireh. It says this, 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Look at how he describes our relationship with our kids, but him being our father. Look at this, verse nine. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Now, if you then, though are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Our God knows what we need because we talk to him, right? But he knows you. You're his son. You're his daughter. We are his children. And he knows what we need, and he gives us what we need. But sometimes that's different than what we think we need. Oftentimes, our prayers are asking for this miracle in our lap, and God's like, let me help you through this. Let me stay in the passenger. You stay in the driver's seat. I'm going to be in the passenger seat. Just make sure you listen to me. So I want us to look at a scripture. And I think moms, this will be a very, this will resonate with you. This will apply to you. But obviously for all of us, I want you to see a story uh, in the Old Testament. So if you've got your Bible, head to 2 Kings chapter 3. Old Testament story where we're going to have these three kings that they're going to ask for something that's very basic, a very major need, truly a necessity, not a want or a wish. They're going to need something that only God can provide, and God's going to provide it, but not in the way that they necessarily were wishing, hoping, and in fact, praying for. So 2 Kings chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 9, but let me give you a little context about these kings. We have three kingdoms, three kings, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. And they're all allies. They work together. Then you have a fourth king and kingdom, the king of Moab, that has rebelled. So off rebelling, doing their own thing. So the three kings, allies, well, we've got to go and stop the rebellious king. So the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom set out to wage war against the king of Moab. They get their armies together. They're going to go after this rebellious kingdom to put them in line, basically say, hey, you're, you're out of line, get back on line. Very parenting, right? A lot of Old Testament parenting moments in here. So here's where we're going to pick it up. Chapter 3 out of 2 Kings, starting in verse 9. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more what? Water. The army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. Would you agree that that's a pretty major problem? Yes, Absolutely. They have no water. Verse 10, the king would, would react just like you and I would. He says, what? Exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? In other words, is there anybody here that could go to God on our behalf? And in the Old Testament days, especially in these times, God used the prophets he spoke to the prophets, spoke through the prophets to his people. So that's what the kings are asking. Is there, is there not a prophet around that could, on our behalf, speak to God, pray to God, and then allow God to answer us? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. I know that's confusing. Elijah, Elisha, both prophets. Elijah was a prophet first, then Elisha was his successor. He's now a prophet. So these three kings set out to wage war against the rebellious kingdom. They run out of what? Water, which is a basic need. You cannot live without water, much less wage war without water. So they're out of water. Like, well, what are we going to do? Well, we have to find a prophet that could then talk to God on our behalf. Now, what's great about us living under the new covenant and the New Testament, we can have that conversation with God. You don't have to come and find me. Don't call me to pray. I love praying for you. 
but you don't have to wait for me. Old days is a little bit biblical. Old Testament days are a little different. They find this prophet Elisha. He says, Elisha, will you pray to God because we need water? We're dead without water. We are stuck without water. It's not a want. It's not a wish. It's a basic necessity. We need water. So they find Elisha. Elisha comes to them, and he's about to pray to God on their behalf to see how God would be exactly the name that we said earlier, Jehovah Jireh, that he would be a God that would provide, in this case, water. And here is Elisha's response. Verse 15, here's what he says. But now bring me a harpist. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha. Now time out there for a second. If you're one of these three kings, stuck, dehydrated, tired, exhausted, worried because you don't have water, and you go to Elisha, who's this prophet that can speak and hear from God, and the first thing that he says is, bring me a harpist. You're like, this is no time for kumbaya, Elisha. Like, we're desperate. We have to have water now. We cannot fight without water. We cannot survive without water. And you're telling us you need a harpist. Now, I have to help you understand why that was so important. Now, I don't have a harpist. I wish I did. That would have been a great illustration for you this morning. But I have a keyboardist. Give it up for Josh, our keyboardist. And what Elisha's doing is what we even do today. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There's a reason we do worship before the message. Some of you think it's because we save the best to last. I like to think that sometimes, but that's not the case. Something happens in our soul and in our spirit, in our heart and our mind when we focus on worship first. It opens our heart up to what God's word would say to us, which is what we're doing now. Music does that. You, you don't watch a movie without a killer soundtrack. Just music does something, whether you're musically talented or not. Music has something in us. It does something in us. Elisha knows that, so he's setting the mood. He's setting the mood. I mean, let me show you how this would work. Let me show you how this works. I'm going to give you some inspirational statements here. And inspirational statements is going to change your life. Are you ready? I believe in you. You can do it. Don't give you don't seem very inspired <laughs> at all. They don't seem inspired at all. All right, so here's what Elisha did. He knows that. So, Josh, give me, give me some mood music. Oh. Now, you'll notice, this is what we do at the end of every one of my messages, too, isn't it? <laughs> That's called applying God's word. All right, now let's try it again. You ready? I believe in you. You can do it. Don't quit. Oh, I felt something. I felt something. Right? It's different, isn't it? It's a little different. I see a few nods, but man, we're not bringing the roof down yet. Next level, Josh? Next level? All right, here we go. I believe in you. You can do it. Don't quit. Say it with me. I won't quit. I won't quit. That's awesome. Josh, our harpist. <laughs> oh, amen. You may all go. No, it's different, isn't it? I didn't say really anything different. I mean, I got louder as the music got louder, but, but there is something woven in us, God given. It's how He made us, where there's something that music does to us. That's important. It's important because hearing from God consists of two parts, God speaking and us listening. 
It's one part God speaking, and it's one part us listening. And I'm telling you, God is speaking, so usually the problem is with us. But we don't always have an environment that's conducive to us actually listening to him. I'm telling you, when you're stuck in traffic on 400, God is still speaking. You just don't hear him very well. <laughs> right? When your kids are going crazy, I promise you, God is still speaking. We just don't hear him very well. It's hard to listen with all that other noise. Now, am I saying in order to pray and have a rich prayer life, you need to have a harpist follow you around all the time? No, of course not. But you need to have environments and moments where you do have that. It's with any relationship. Becky and I, as spouse, we, we need time where we can just be together. And we're together a lot. We're together. She would say we're together all the time, in fact. So we'll sit around our dinner table and we're talking, we're having a good time, we're, we're engaging in conversation, but we also have kids around and we've got dishes. There's a lot of other things around, a lot of other noises around. That's why we do date nights. We don't do, we'd love to do date nights all the time, but you know, we, we do them intentionally, right? And so we go out, I don't, and this is what we say, we, we need a quiet romantic dinner, don't we? We just, sometimes it's just, we just need a quiet dinner. Let's go to McDonald's and be quiet for a little bit. <laughs> Why is that? Well, we just need to eliminate some other noises. So just as you would do with your spouse, just as you would do with some other friends, you have to have that with God. Does that mean you can't talk and pray and have a rich prayer life in the car on 400? No, of course you can, but don't rely just on that. It's difficult to hear God unless you have some environment where you are, are truly setting the mood to hear and listen and all the other noise, noises begin to fade and you hear the voice of God through his word or in your heart through the Holy Spirit. That's what Elisha is doing because these kings have a very determined focus. We need water. And Elisha's like, yes, but back up a second. Let's align your hearts first. Let's worship first and then let's approach God. It's the right heart. It's the right attitude. It's the right mindset. So he says, bring me a harpist. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha and said, here's what he says. This is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. And you, your cattle and your other animals will drink. Look at verse 18. This is an easy, say easy. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. I love that delivering Moab is a side note. Hey, God's gonna bring you water. He's gonna provide for you. He's Jehovah Jireh. Oh, and by the way, he's gonna also deliver Moab into your hands. He's got this, you've got this, right? But there's a phrase here. In fact, it's the first thing. It's more of a command than it is a phrase where God begins to give them instructions. Remember, he's, the pa he's in the passenger seat saying, I hear your needs. Yes, I agree with your needs, but let me show you how I'm gonna answer this prayer. So in, in my Bible, and it's probably similar in yours, it says, and he said, this is what the Lord says, I will fill this valley with pools of water. Now, if you go to the original language and you take it literally word for word, this is a little bit of a better translation. NASB gives us more word for it. It's harder to read. It's usually harder to understand, but it is more literal with what the original Hebrew language was saying. Here's what God said. Same verse, just a slightly different translation of the NASB that's more literal on the original language. He said this, thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of trenches. If you grow up with the King James Version, it would say, make this valley full of ditches. In other words, the kings go to Elisha. Elisha, tell God what we need and, and tell him he needs to help us. So Elisha does that. And well, here's God's answer. Go dig some ditches. No, I'm sorry. Don't dig some ditches. Make this valley full of ditches. Again, 
You've got three kingdoms, three armies, three kings that have been traveling about for a week. They're in the valley. They're in the desert. They're tired. They're exhausted. They are dehydrated. They need, what do they need again? Water. And God's answer is, yeah, I see that. Why don't you start digging ditches? Tell your men, kings, to go get their shovels, put down their weapons, go get their shovels and start digging ditches. That's going to be a hard one to sell to, those, to that army. Dig ditches. In the midst of being tired and exhausted, in the midst of being in this valley, in this desert, you want me to dig ditches? Isn't there an easier answer? Like, God, can't you just make it rain right now? That's kind of what we were going for here. Why the ditches? Why the digging of the ditches? See, it goes back to us being in the car. Sometimes we want him to just be the driver, which he does sometimes. But more often, he stays in the passenger seat and he teaches us through it. He helps us navigate through it. But both, both happen. We usually pray for the gift. For example, here, here's a great example. In Exodus chapter 16, you have the Israelites wandering around in the desert for 40 years, right? They've escaped Egypt. God's delivered them. They're waiting to go into the promised land. They're grumbling. They're hungry. They don't have meat. So, so like, God, we need food. Again, another basic need. God answers that prayer. Do you know the name of it? What fell from Hannah? What did they call it? From heaven? They called it what? Manna. Yeah, it was literally a miracle of God. It was a gift that was miraculously given to the people of Israel while they were in the desert. They said, we need food. God says, sure. Manna. Truly food from heaven is why they called it manna. It was a gift given. It was a miraculous gift given. It landed in their laps. They didn't have to do anything. Then we see this example. God, we're out of water. We need water. You know we need water. Give us water. Sure, my answer is yes. Dig ditches first. <laughs> see the difference? <laughs> Big difference. We love to pray asking for the miraculous gift. But oftentimes our answers end up including work and work first. Another way to say it is the answers to our prayers may be a gift given or maybe work commissioned. We love it when it's just a gift. God, land this in my lap, please. I need this. Fix this. God's answer is still yes, but oftentimes he says, sure, here's the work I'm going to commission you to do. Here's where I want you to start. And in the case here in, in 2 Kings chapter 3, God gave these specific kings that task, that job, that work to begin. Start digging ditches. It's the same in our lives. God, I need help. God, I need you to fix. I need you to be Jehovah Jireh. I need you to provide. He says, sure, start digging some ditches. Well, why? Why in the world should we dig ditches? What's the point of digging ditches? So you have to understand they needed something that only God could do, right? And that even said in verse 18, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. God can take care of the rain. I can't take care of the rain. You can't make it rain. God's saying, let me give you something you can do. Let me give you something you can start small with. That's the idea behind digging ditches here. When you think of the principle, not physically, literally. I'm not giving you shovels on your way out of church this morning. So not literally giving you <laughs> shovels and, and ditches to dig. But spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking, Digging ditches is dreaming big and starting small. There's things that only God can do and there's things that he's telling us to begin doing. Start digging ditches. And here's what it does. If God were to just bring the rain, the rain really doesn't have anywhere to go. It's gonna get soaked up by the ground. But if they dug ditches, what fills up those ditches? Rain, water, right? So God says, I'm gonna bring the rain. I'm gonna fill up those ditches with water. But you've gotta actually be the one to dig the ditches. You've got to start and start small. So digging ditches is really creating space for God to fill it with. 
It's us creating space so that God can do something we can't do. It's us creating space for God to move and work and bless. It's creating that space, but it's hard work. Let me give you the definition of a ditch digger. Ditch digger, if you were to go dictionary.com, here's what it would say. A person engaged in exhausting manual work, especially work that requires little or no originality. Now, if you also go and you look up the definition for parenting, it says a person engaged in exhausting manual work, especially work that requires little or no originality. (laughs) You can see a correlation. If you're married, husbands, no, I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. (laughs) That's what it feels like, though, doesn't it? Hard manual work with no end in sight. It's just, I'm just digging a ditch. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot to it, but we are creating space for God to do something that we cannot. So make this very real. And if you're taking notes on that invite card, maybe start jotting down what digging a ditch looks like for you. For, for Becky and I, when, when we kind of talk about this idea of digging ditches with our family and in parenting and in our relationship and our involvement with the community, I mean, the first one that comes to mind, and it's not the churchy right answer, but it is one of them, pray. Pray is creating space for God to answer them. Remember what we read earlier, what Jesus said in Matthew 7? Ask. You have to start there. It begins to create space for God to work, God to move, God to fill it with something we cannot. So we pray. We stay involved with church because it's not because we're supposed to. It's because we're creating space for God to do something great through the relationships that we have. We serve because it creates space for God to do something in us and in our hearts. If you volunteer, you know that God does something in you when you volunteer, and we want our kids to see that. Family dinners are important for Becky and I, so when we sit around that chaotic family table and we're like, this would have been easier if we just went to McDonald's. Yes, it would have been a whole lot easier. Ditch digging is not easy. It's hard manual labor. And so we're digging a ditch and we're creating space for God to do something in our family's life. When you're spending time doing homework with your kids, that's digging a ditch. Because once they hit the second grade, you don't have a clue what you're talking about anymore. But what are you doing? You're spending time with them. You're engaged with them. You're involved with them. You're learning with them. You're teaching them. You're creating space. When you keep a good work ethic at work and it doesn't lead you to that promotion, what are you doing? You're creating space. Maybe it doesn't happen right now, but you're creating space. When you're living on a budget, that's hard work. But what are you doing? You're creating space. You see how this works. It says dig Ditches. Make this valley full of ditches. Don't just dig one, two, or three. No, make this valley in this desert, make it full of ditches so God can fill it with something you most certainly cannot. Dream big. Pray big. But unless he hands you a miracle in your lap, what's the work he's commissioning you to do? Start small. Start digging ditches. Now, it's also interesting. This, again, goes back to think of that passenger seat idea The Jehovah Jireh is the one that sits in the passenger seat, provides through teaching. What we also see is God uses answers to our prayers to develop us. The Christian word for that is called discipleship. It helps us move in our relationship with him, helps us grow into who he wants us to be, to become more like Christ. That's what discipleship really, really is about. So what's interesting is when you're digging ditches and it's that hard manual labor where you don't see an end in sight and it feels more like you're digging your own grave than you're digging a ditch and creating space for God. Those can feel very much the same oftentimes, especially when you're in those valleys. But notice what God is teaching you and developing in you in the midst of digging those ditches. First one is responsibility. He teaches you and grows in you responsibility. Go back to what it said in verse 16. You make this valley full of ditches. He's like, now this isn't on me. I'm gonna bring the rain a little bit. That's an easy thing for me to do, God says. 
But you have to take responsibility. You have to take ownership. You do something. So it teaches us responsibility. It's no longer this prayer of, God, here's my problems. Please fix it. I'll be on the couch. Let me know when you're ready. Anytime now is good. Right? That's one way to pray. I don't see God answering that prayer very often in my life. If he works it for you, man, keep praying whatever you're praying. <laughs> Instead, it's a, let's, let's give you some responsibility. We talked about that last week, right? Being an answer, being a solution to what you're praying. He may do that. So he's teaching you, growing in you, and developing in you responsibility. Resilience is another one. Nothing will teach you resilience like digging ditches in the midst of a desert, in the middle of a desert, when you're in a valley and you haven't had anything to drink for days. That'll teach you resilience. Because you got to think, those men out there digging those dishes are thinking, I'm, what's the point? Why am I even doing this? There's got to be a better way, right? That's what we start to think and say when we're ready to just call it quits. But resilience says, no, you keep going. Resilience says you take one more step. Resilience says you keep digging that ditch. One more shovel at a time. One shovel at a time. One shovel. You keep going step by step. That's resilience. And in fact, if you were to study cultural trends and generational trends, if you look through the baby boomers and Gen X and Gen Ys and you go through all those, our current next generation, the up and coming generation, is severely lacking in resilience. Mom and dads, this should throw off some light bulbs for you or at least some red flags. They are severely lacking in resilience. The moment they run up against a failure, the moment they run up against hardship, it's, oh no, I can't do this anymore. And as a parent, it's easy for us to bail them out, isn't it? I'm not saying you let them drown, but maybe we take a lesson as parents from God's parenting. Dig a few ditches, work a little bit towards it. Let's see what happens, put some effort into it. It's gonna be hard, but it's teaching us and developing in us resilience. And the last one, it feels like it should be opposite of resilience, but it goes hand in hand in our spiritual lives, is that of reliance. Responsibility, resilience, and reliance. In other words, I'm gonna dig this ditch, that's all I can do. <laughs> God, you've gotta do something with this. Because I cannot make it rain. I cannot fill this with water. It's recognizing what I can do versus what God can only do. Responsibility, resilience, and reliance. They relied on God. They followed his command. They were faithful in digging ditches. And here's what happens in verse 20. The next morning, about the time for, the off for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. And you can keep reading on about how they defeated the Moabites, and they all lived happily ever after. Not exactly, but you kind of get the gist. They listened, they obeyed, they dug ditches, being tired, exhausted, dehydrated in a valley in the middle of a desert, and they waited for God to do what only he can do. Keep digging ditches. Keep creating space for God to do what only he can do. Now, let me give you a very big disclaimer here, because I cannot end the sermon right there. At this point, it sounds like, well, this is great news. All I have to do is dig a ditch, and God will fill it with all kinds of wonderful blessings. Uh, no. <laughs> It's not the way it works. This promise was given specifically to these three kings in this specific context at that specific time. There are specific and contextual promises. There are also generational promises. This is not a generational promise, meaning we don't get to claim this promise as our own. So don't go in your backyard, start digging a ditch and expecting it to be filled with cash tomorrow morning. It's not the way it works. But there are some principles that do speak to us that the promises do continue. Right? If, if God is calling us to put something into it, we live in a, 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 you reap what you sow, a sowing and reaping world. It's part of the, the economics of the kingdom. 
What you put into it, God does something he can only do with it and produces something that we cannot produce on our own. But every seed planted does not necessarily produce a crop. Every ditch dug does not necessarily get filled with water and other blessings. So then we're left with the question, well, what do I do when I've been digging all these ditches and I wake up tomorrow morning and I don't get the water like I read in 2 Kings? I've been digging all these ditches. God, I've been creating all these space. Where's my blessing? Let me reframe your question. Based off of that, we're saying success is based on results. In this story, there's two ways to look at success. is when the water filled the ditches or when the people dug the ditches. Success, MLC, is when we dig the ditches. Here's why. The results are not up to us all the time. We do what we can do and we let God do what he's gonna do. Because there is a theme that is throughout scripture. His will be done. So dig the ditches, but then let God do what only he can do. And if he fills it, he fills it. If he doesn't, okay, God, what do you wanna teach me? Responsibility, resilience, and reliance. So what do you wanna teach me? Flip our thinking around. Success is us living out our faith, not living to see the results. But I've been parenting for 18 years and, and now they've gone off and they screwed it up. They didn't do one thing that I told them to do. <laughs> well, it's probably an exaggeration, but you dug the ditches. What happens next is between them and God. Take some burdens off of yourself. Well, man, we've been saving, we've been spending the right thing, we've been living on budget and the bills just keep on coming. Dig another ditch tomorrow. Keep digging ditches and see what God will do in your life. Colossians gives us a very simple instruction to work hard at what Ever we do. Work hard at whatever we do, and the whole point is because of this, because we're serving Jesus, not man. We're serving Jesus, not anybody else. And it says work hard at whatever you do, so fill in the blank. Parenting with your spouse, with your kids, with your family, at your job, in your community, at church, fill in the blank. Whatever you do, work hard at it, but you're serving God, you're not serving people. So be faithful in digging ditches and let God do what only he can do. I believe in you. You can do it. Don't give up. It just didn't sound the same, did it? I need just, it's lame now that I say it. No. Hey, let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for what only you can do. Thank you for giving us responsibility and teaching us resilience and helping us grow in our reliance of you. God, may we walk out of here ready to dig some more ditches. May we have the refreshment we need to keep digging ditches. Even when we wake up and we don't see them filled, may we be faithful with what you've asked us to do, to work hard at whatever we do. In any aspect of our life, in any environment, with any individual, may we work hard at it and create space for you to do what only you can do. And God, let us have the faith to trust your timing. With you sitting in the passenger seat and us in the driver's seat, may we be attentive to your voice, listening to your word and your instructions as you, as you navigate us through this thing called life. Help us as we stumble in the right direction. We trust you. We have faith in you because you are Jehovah Jireh. You are a God that provides. In Jesus' name, amen.